So for me personally, um, soul care has just kind of always been uh, a part of my routine. Um, I grew up in the church and I was very fortunate that from a young age that was something that my parents really stressed for. My sister and I was just always being intentional in your walk with God um, and just always kind of looking out for yourself a little bit too and just how you feel uh, throughout the day, throughout the week, what has been causing negative emotions versus positive emotions um, and what that looks like uh, spiritually as well. So one of the biggest soul care things for me, I actually learned um, whenever I was a kid in youth group um, and one of the college volunteers who I really looked up to, um, he kind of, I guess, deconstructed this notion that I had that, you know, you, you had to set aside time for prayer every day. And instead, something that he introduced me to was this idea of um, the all-day prayer. And so for him, what that looked like was, you know, he would wake up, he would thank God for breathing life into him for the day um, and giving him another opportunity to, you know, just... Uh, push out love and kindness throughout the world. Um, and then as his day would go along, you know, if, if he saw a, a car accident on the side of the road, he would, you know, just send out a quick message to God of, hey, God, I hope that you have a hand over whoever was in this accident and their families and everything else. Or if he had a test, hey, God, uh, if you could just help me to remember the things that I studied for this test. And he would do those throughout the day and he wouldn't say amen until the end of the day uh, whenever he was getting ready for bed. And so that's something that I have taken for myself um, and I, I live that as much as I can every day where I wake up um, and I'm just thankful that I, I'm alive and that I'm able-bodied and I'm able to do things and show love to others. Uh, and then as my day you know, goes along, just having that constant one-on-one -on -one communication with God um, and just being able to just, you know, whenever I'm frustrated with something, say that I'm frustrated and, and tell God that. Or, you know, if I'm happy about something, you know, uh, give a word of thanks. Um, basically until the end of my day, whenever it's time to go to bed. And then just again, one more time, just saying, hey, thank you for the day. Um, whether if it was a good day or a bad day, just having the opportunity to have another day um, is important. And then ending with amen at the end of the day. So anytime that there's any type of a, uh, big event or high stakes situation in my life, um, I always make sure to take some sort of soul care beforehand. So whether if that is a, um, a, a job interview or I am having to speak in front of a lot of people or you know fill in the blank with something that's high stakes, um, I always take time beforehand to do some soul care. So you know for me that looks like you know definitely taking time to pray about it. Um, and just that, you know, whatever it is that I, I can be calmed by the spirit. Um, and then for me personally, something that I learned in therapy as a kid, uh, and as silly as it might sound, um, is doing some breathing exercises. You know, just making sure that I, I take time to breathe calmly, breathe deeply, count my breaths. You know, sometimes I'll count with it too. Um, and as simple and as silly as it might sound, it really does help and it really helps me to wash away those anxieties and to really boost my mental health going into a situation. And I honestly believe that if I don't do that going into these higher six situations, I'm not as successful. Um, and so that's just something for me that really works well um, and that I will kind of continue to do. If there's anything that I can send with y'all uh, for the end of this, just kind of something to take home, is find what works for you. Everyone's a little bit different. So if that is, you know, doing the breathing exercises and counting to, to wash away your anxieties, do it. If there's something else that works for you, maybe, you know, you're someone who likes uh, to fidget with things, you know, find a fidget cube or something. Uh, or if you're someone who, you know, you just need something very specific for you, find what it is. Tailor your routine and tailor your uh, soul care to yourself. Um, and it looks different for everyone. And if something that you try doesn't work, that's okay. 
try something different. Um, we're all different. We all cope with things different ways. We all uh, have different things that affect our mental health. So it's really just about tailoring your soul care to yourself. Love it. Give Jordan a great big hand. Sharing a bit of his story. And that's what we want to kind of talk about today is soul care. What are we doing to kind of care for that part of us that we can't necessarily put under a microscope? Do me a favor, welcome Lindsay, my new friend today. Lindsay's here interpreting for the first time with us. Thank you, Lindsay. Nice to have you here. And uh, so we want to welcome everybody uh, today in our Campfire Stories Part 7. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest this morning or newer around Crossroads, uh, thank you for being here. If you'd like to get together and chat, have a cup of coffee, ask any questions, um, settle any confusion you might have from the next 25 to 35 minutes, I'm happy to do that. Inside your program is my cell phone number. Send me a text message, and I will absolutely let you buy me coffee. Um, or an old-fashioned, whichever you prefer. Um, if it's in the morning, I prefer old-fashions. If it's in the evening, I prefer... No, wait, that's the other way around, if it's in the... No, so I would love to, to meet with you, and thank you for being here today. Let me, let me ask you a question. Again, kind of a personal question. I like to start off with personal things. You ever been in a nice, quiet room? Maybe you're at work, you're in a meeting. Uh, maybe you've been, you know, participating in a church small group is a thing for you, and it's a nice, quiet moment, and all of a sudden, in the room is this most incredibly loud, noticeable stomach gurgling. And you realize in that moment that that was your stomach. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like what happens in that moment? Like what's the question that gets asked? Was that your stomach? Right? Like it's just the attention is turned or if you're, if you're hanging out with your partner, you're watching a movie or whatever, your stomach starts growling, right? And that stomach growl is what? It's telling you what? that you're hungry, right? Or it could be a spoiled child complaining. That's the way I think of my stomach. I'm like, you're fine, don't worry, you don't need more food. We've had enough sugar today, you know, whatever it might be. Right, but our stomachs growl, right? And here's what's interesting, and it's your first fill-in for those of you that are filling the blank people because I know you're immediately gonna look down and start writing. We have a spiritual stomach, right? We all have a spiritual stomach that growls when it's hungry. You ever been around somebody whose spiritual stomach growls when they're hungry? Maybe you don't know what that growl sounds like. I'll help you understand what some of the noises are. Here's what some of the noises are of a person whose spiritual stomach is empty. They're quick to anger. You ever experienced that? Quick to anger, easily offended. Good, that's the stomach growling. Like you say to somebody, hey, how you doing? Like, I'm fine. That's a spiritual stomach growling right there, right? That is like, what's happening here in their world, right? Oftentimes when a spiritual stomach is hungry, and it growls, it is dismissive of the needs of others. It's very quick to recognize and understand, and oh, like, this is what's wrong with the world, and somebody else needs to fix it, right? That's oftentimes a sign of a, a spiritually hungry stomach. I think oftentimes a spiritually hungry stomach that's growling is filled with kind of a woe is me mentality, right? A spiritually empty stomach can easily get overwhelmed by the experiences in life that will either turn us into a victim or a survivor. And we have to kind of make a choice, and that's not to in any way, shape, or form downplay our painful experiences. But what is it that allows one person to go through the very same experiences as another person, negative, difficult, and to come out a survivor, and one to get stuck in kind of, a mental, in kind of this mentality of victim and not able to move forward in bitterness? Well, there's a spiritual hunger in there. There's a spiritual malnutrition. And so spiritual malnutrition, right, it manifests in this world. 
And it manifests in some certain ways. And I think if we don't take care of that soul care, that spiritual hunger, what happens is we end up with diseased relationships. Our relationships are not grounded in trust. Our relationships are very tenuous. They're very fragile. We get distracted thinking, right? When we're spiritually hungry, we're distracted and we're going after all types of things. We're not focused. The, the vision that we need for our lives, whether it's our family or our personal life or our professional life or our financial life or, or our ministry life, our giving of ourselves, our serving life in this world, we can easily get distracted when our spiritual stomach isn't full, when we haven't cared for the soul. And then I think ultimately what we see is like detrimental behavior. Behavior that's harmful to ourselves and others. Behavior that contributes to these five unacceptables that you see here hanging in the auditorium. That when we're spiritually hungry, we might put spiritual junk food into our lives, right? Very quickly, and, and we start acting in such a way that, that creates poverty. We start acting in such a way that pushes someone outside of our lives. We, we withhold care, right? We aren't concerned about the lack of education. We aren't concerned about food insecurity in our community and in the world, and, and we just can get really focused. And then behavior that breaks peace develops, right? So what I want to do today is look at a campfire story from Scripture that can help us so we can get some wisdom. Now, if you're new to Crossroads, I, I want to welcome you. It's great. We're going to look at some Bible verses today. And for many of us, um, the Bible, the Scriptures, our Christian Scriptures have been a great source of hope and joy and life, and they're wonderful. And we've, many of us have had positive experiences, and some of us maybe have had negative experiences where Scripture's been used to control or manipulate us. So today, I just want to say one of our values is wisdom. And so when we open up the Scriptures, we look for wisdom. We don't look for rules. Rules are always a matter of interpretation, but we look for wisdom. So one of the things that I say around here is like, I don't see it as my job to help you follow the Bible. Following the Bible is really very, very difficult <laughs> and uh, quite frustrating and probably an overall terrible idea when we look at the history of the planet when we've tried to follow the Bible. But following Jesus is a rather beautiful idea. And so that's really what we focus in on as we look at scriptures. How can it help us follow this peacemaking path of Jesus? So I want to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Now, a little bit of background to this Gospel. This is our Matthew, Mark, Luke. I said the other day I was re-listening to the message because sometimes I'll do that. And I was like, we're going to look at the first Gospel, Mark. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 it's the third Gospel. And then I left it at that, you know, so you have to forgive me. I forget my memorized order books of the Bible. The Gospel of John is our fourth Gospel in what's called the New Testament, if you're new to Bible study, which is the second part of the Christian Scriptures. And in the Gospel of John, this book was written probably somewhere around 50 to 60 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Gospel of John is a very kind of spiritual book. Uh, the Jesus of the Gospel of John is quite different in, in the way in which Jesus would function in his ministry look than in the other three Gospels. And uh, why is that? Well, people noticed it very early on in life. There's a guy named Clement of Alexandria in the year 200 who was writing about the Gospel of John, and he called it a spiritual gospel. And so John is teaching and he's revealing the theological significance of this post-Easter Jesus, this post-resurrection Jesus. So John is writing the significance of Jesus. His language is deeply metaphorical. It's, it's far more symbolic than literal. And we get this beautiful picture of the depth of meaning that Jesus had for some of the earliest communities of people that had committed their lives to this path, to following this Jesus as Savior of the world and not the Roman emperor, right? And so we see this great depth of meaning. So that's good to understand. Now, one thing that's quite unique about the Gospel of John is it uses this language of eternal life or everlasting life 
um, quite often. In fact, it's probably used more here than any other one of the Gospels, in fact, 17 times. And this phrase, everlasting life, that gets translated, is, is commonly misunderstood as suggesting to most people that this is talking about an afterlife, going to heaven, or what happens after we die. And for the gospel writer and for many in the earliest church, that's really not the focus of this phrase. So Marcus Borg in his book, where he kind of takes the, the, the books of the Bible and he puts them in kind of chronological order, he writes a great introduction. Marcus Borg was a historical Jesus scholar. He writes this in his introduction for John. He said, Jesus and early Christianity were primarily focused on the transformation of lives and the world this side of death. Of course, Jesus and Paul and the other early Christians, they believed in an afterlife. They absolutely did. They believed that death was not the end. But what, that was not the heart of their message. Rather, it was about the kingdom of God on earth. Now, the kingdom of God, if you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to hear our founding pastor talk about the kingdom of God, uh, definitely go back and listen to it. You might want to leave right now and go listen to that message instead of this one. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been a part of both. That one's way better than what you're getting ready to hear. So make sure you check that out, right? And Borg writes, he says, it, the kingdom of God and what the world would be like under the lordship of God rather than the lords of this world. And this was certainly the understanding of the writer of John. So the Greek phrase that he translates as everlasting life or eternal life, which you might read if you were to read the gospel of John, is really better translated as life of the age to come life of the age to come, and it was the Jewish hope of the transformation of this life on earth right here and right now. So it's roughly the equivalent, life of the age to come is roughly the equivalent of the kingdom of God, which is used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke more frequently, right? So for John, this life is not just a future hope, but it's this present reality, this everlasting eternal life. And actually in the gospel of John, Jesus spells out what is eternal life. He says, this is eternal life that you may know me, <laughs> that you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what John says is this everlasting life, this life in the kingdom. So to know God as Jesus in Jesus, the God revealed in Jesus, is to enter the life of the age to come right here, right now. Does that, there's nothing, it's not saying there's not life after death, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying there's not hope for life after death, but it's important that we recognize that the message of Jesus for the earliest writers about Jesus, when they use this phrase, they're talking about the kingdom of God, the rule of God right here, right now, that we can experience when we choose to live in it, okay? Good to know before we jump in. You awake? What's that? It's like, move on, Ryan. Okay, okay, here we go. So I want to talk about John chapter 6. Now, quick overview of the first part of John chapter 6. So some things happen that we have to know about before we get to the story. So John chapter 6 starts with what many of you have maybe heard, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? So there's a big crowd. Jesus grabs five loaves and two fish. He begins to bless it. He breaks it. He passes it out. And this miracle happens, and he feeds 5,000 people. And they are, like, super excited, they're super excited because in their world, bread and fish was a big deal. We're talking about a crowd full of Jewish peasants who wondered where their next meal came from. And so they see this man do this incredible miracle in the story. And what they want to do is make him king. And the text says that they forcefully were trying to take Jesus and make him king. So what does he do? He slips out and he goes to the mountain. I don't know about you, but if a bunch of people wanted to make me king, I'd be like, right on. <laughs> right I volunteer. <laughs> but Jesus, full of wisdom, was like, the politician's life is not for me, right? So he slips out. 
And then what happens as evening comes, Jesus is off by himself, and he tells his disciples, go ahead and go across the sea. So they're kind of going away. So the disciples go down, they get in their boat, and they go to cross the sea, and the waves are getting rough, and the wind is coming out, and they had rowed out about three to four miles, three to four miles of rowing in this boat. And the storm starts to rage a little bit. And then they look up and they say Jesus walking out on the sea. And as Jesus approaches, he never actually gets in the boat in the story in the Gospel of John. He just says, don't be afraid. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he says, don't be afraid, the boat magically is on the shore. You don't believe me, do you? You're like, that is not how the story goes. Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. I know some of you have heard that. It's a different one, right? That's a different version of it. But in this version where John uses it, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then they're, he just never gets in the boat. He's just like, boop, on the other side. It's like a Star Trek episode, you know, where they're like, they just transport in. Like, there's Jesus, right? So now they're on the other side. And this incredible thing happens. And the next day, the crowd that had been fed is like, where's Jesus? What's happening? Their stomachs are hungry, right? And so they're like, where's Jesus? And they noticed the boat's gone, but they also knew that Jesus hadn't got into the boat, but they couldn't find Jesus anywhere on that side of the sea. So they're like, well, we don't know what happened. So they get in some boats and they cross over the sea looking for Jesus, right? And so they themselves get in these boats and they row hard work all the way across the sea and they're looking for Jesus. And this is where we pick it up in John chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what the writer of John says. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> They're confused. And Jesus, as he's always prone to do, doesn't answer the question, right? He just tells them a different answer. He's like, truly I say to you, he's like, I'm telling you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were full. And then Jesus says this, don't work for food that perishes. Now remember, they had just worked rowing across the sea. <laughs> That's hard work pouring themselves in. And he knows that they've exerted all that work for a meal that's just going to leave them hungry in another 24 hours. And he says, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. Now remember the eternal life that endures for the coming kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven that's a part of it that nourishes us in the kingdom of heaven, which the Son of Man will give you. Son of Man was a phrase that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John to refer to himself that refers back to the book of Daniel in the Hebrew scriptures. Whole nother talk, but that's what it's saying. And so Jesus says, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So the seal of the kingdom, imagine you have to think about like kingdom language there, the seal of a ruler. When someone bore the seal of the ruler, they had the authority of the ruler, right? And what's happening here in this story, John wants his, his congregation, the people that he's writing to, he wants them to know how easy it is to miss the point of Jesus. It's really easy to miss the point of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever, I've missed the point of Jesus. I spent years, I think, teaching missing the point of Jesus, right? And we all go, right now I'm missing the point of Jesus. I'm sorry, I hate to break the news to you, but we're all going to learn something, we're going to grow, right? But what John is saying, it's easy to miss the point, and people are missing the point of Jesus all around. They're thinking Jesus is the solution to problem, and Jesus, no, no, no. And they're working hard in the wrong ways. They're working hard for Jesus to gain temporary benefits for this world, for the world that we see around. And what John is saying is, no, Jesus is really not about success in this world as we see it, but it is about success in the kingdom of heaven. It's about living in the space that is already present, but you might not see it. 
And so Jesus continues on and he answers and he says to them, this is the work of God, right? Remember Jesus said, don't work hard for temporary things, but he says, this is the actual work. This is the work of God. Are you ready for it? That you believe in the one he sent. What is John saying here? John is saying, this is, this is it. You want to enter into the kingdom? You want to enter into eternal life? You want to see what can be possible in this world? You want to see this world restored and redeemed into God's vision of creation? Then you believe in the one who sent, the one who God sent. That's what John is saying, right? Because John sees that God's way of being human is on display in Jesus. Because Jesus was not here telling other people, telling us right now through our text, how to be God. What Jesus is showing us is how to be human. This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to have a human experience in the eternal kingdom of God that always was and always will be right here. And so to believe in that was to follow, to trust the path of Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of times in our tradition, belief is about, we've talked about this, it's this idea that I just believe certain things about Jesus but I don't believe that that's the heart of what John is saying to us or what Jesus is saying in this story. To believe was not simply to just acknowledge, but it was to align our lives. Ooh, that should have been a fill-in. Oh, man. Dang it, I missed that one in study. Don't acknowledge, align. Oh, that's so good, Dennis. Write that one down. We gotta, somebody should steal that. Let's put that on TikTok. Right, to believe is not to acknowledge something, but it's to align our lives to this reality. So the crowd says to Jesus, well, what's, what sign can you do? Like, it just remember the whole story here. He just fed 5,000 people. Jesus earlier said, you didn't come out to me because you saw a sign. You came out to me because you're hungry. They said, well, what sign can you do that we might see and believe in you? Well, what can you do? Our ancestors, now this should give us a clue that this is far more than a literal story, okay? Like, this should give us a clue that John is teaching us theology here, not necessarily history, okay? So, he says, what can you do? Our answers ate manna in the desert. It's written in our sacred text, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus is referring to the wandering in the wilderness of the Israelites, a huge part of their story, where they wandered for 40 years in a very small desert. Somebody should have given them a compass, you know? But they woke up every day and there was this manna on the ground and they would gather it and enough for the day and then if they tried to keep it, it would sour. But every day there was enough. And so Jesus said to them, amen, amen, truly. Well, the scholar, there's a scholarly version of the Bible that every time Jesus says amen, amen, they translate it as I swear to God. That's what <laughs> Jesus says. And I, I've got to tell you, I really wanted to use that translation with you all today. But I just feel like it's a tenuous season for us as a church that I thought I'll leave it out. But I loved it. I was like, Jesus, I just, I swear to God. <laughs> and these are scholars, right? Like, it's not like me. You know, these are like people that know what they're doing, right? So this is what it says. It says, uh, amen, amen, <laughs> right? Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus is like deconstructing their whole idea of what's important, Right? For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Ooh, that's different. Not life to the Israelites, not life to the Jews, not life to the Christians, not life to the people that, that are, you know, the Lutherans or the Baptists or the Catholics, but life to the world. And so what do they say to him? Sir, give us this bread. Give it to us. What John is teaching is that this world is starving for life. 
This world is starving for life. And there is a life-giving source that is providing it all the time. And this, this life that we're starving for, if we're really honest with ourselves, when nobody's around, when the door's closed, when the baby's asleep, when the kids or college is paid for, when all the dust is settled, we know that life is wholeness and purpose and meaning. That's what we know life really is. And we have all these things that we think are going to do that in our world, all these, these, this manna that we find that only lasts a day. And what John wants us to know through the life of Jesus is that there is life and it's found in Jesus. And so then Jesus says to him this very famous statement. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They said, give us this bread, give it to us. And he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. How many of you are a little hungry right now? Like just lunchtime's coming, you're wondering, is this going to be an 11.15 service or an 11.30 service? You know, you're thinking that. Like maybe we'll get lucky and it's an 11.05. Jesus is not saying anything literal here. John is not trying to teach us literally anything. John is trying to teach us a beautiful, beautiful metaphor about sustenance and what really matters in this world that can be experienced eternal life, the kingdom of God, the age to come right here. See, Jesus as the bread of life is a metaphor for the understanding of God that nourishes the spiritually hungry, right? There's an understanding of God that can actually nourish the spiritually hungry, and that understanding of God is revealed in Jesus fully. That understanding of God, I actually believe, is revealed in other mechanisms and other ways throughout our lives. I think we see it on display when we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. I think the understanding of God is nonviolent. We see in the life and ministry and work of Martin Luther King, for example, there's an incarnation-type reality there. There is an understanding of God, and Jesus says, I'm the, I have that understanding of God for you, and it can nourish you, and it can satisfy you, so you don't have to live your life wondering longing for God. See, he's talking about a soul care that is sustainable, that says we can like move past the fear of God, the fear of the afterlife, and get to the work of the kingdom, get to life in the kingdom. So John uses this powerful metaphor, and it brings this deep spiritual truth to his audience, and it is inspired because it can still bring that deep truth to us. And that deep truth is simply this, that living and trusting and believing that the image of God that's revealed in Jesus, will satisfy our soul. That it will bring us into a new way of living where even death has no power. And that is the beauty. Now Jesus really leans into this metaphor in John a few verses later in John chapter 6, where he says some very weird things that actually uh, promoted this idea that the early followers of Jesus were cannibals. I mean, I've been accused a lot of things in my life as a follower of Jesus, but being a cannibal is not one of them. But this was actually something that the earliest communities were accused of because this is what John writes. John says that Jesus, as he carries on this metaphor, he says this, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. What John's probably doing here is talking about the communion ceremony that had developed, the Lord's Supper that had developed in his community as they would gather and they would share a meal together and this meal would nourish them physically. It was shared with everyone equally, but it would also be a metaphor that would nourish them spiritually. 
And Jesus says, just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, right? Jesus is saying, just like it is for me, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. That the same life that Jesus lived, the same relationship that he had with God, that he understood as Father, is available to everyone through Jesus, through Jesus' understanding. And so in your everyday normal life, when you leave here tomorrow, because I don't know if you know this or not, but your Monday is far more important than my Sunday. As much as I want to believe it's not true, the real work of the restoration of this world does not happen right here. It happens when we leave here and we go out on Monday and we have opportunities for peacemaking. And so how do you stay spiritually nourished in your everyday normal life? How do we take this beautiful metaphor that can feel so kind of out there and esoteric and like apply it? So here we go, a couple of things. One, I want to encourage you to develop healthy and consistent eating habits. Now remember, we're talking about the bread of life. We can talk about other eating habits some other time. (laughs) But healthy and consistent eating habits. So eating habits, taking time, setting aside time for the bread of life, these bread of life meals, right? What does it mean to be healthy, right? Activities and spiritual habits that nurture and produce some things in your life. The result of good spiritual eating habits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. If you're engaging in a spiritual habit and all that does is frustrate you, stop it. Stop doing it. And, and, and look for that thing which produces in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So the, the one-size-fits-all soul care. I love what Jordan said. you got to figure out what works for you. So I can stand up here and say, pray every day, read your Bible every day, all this stuff that we say in kind of traditional pop Christianity. But the truth is that might not work for you. It might work for you. I have no idea. You might have this bent towards some of those ways of, of nourishment and learning and encountering wisdom, but it may not. I don't, know, I don't know if you're aware or not, but when, when like, the Bible was written, the, the internet didn't exist, right? And like, there weren't podcasts. Um, I don't know if you know it or not, too, but like, when these texts were written, like, nobody, there was no books. Like, you couldn't read your Bible every day. Like, Jesus never told people to read their Bible every day because they, they couldn't. It was just impossible. Most people couldn't read, first of all. And they just didn't have one, right? So I say that to say that it's okay if you don't read your Bible every day. Okay, we're good. We're good. I was nervous about that one, but we're okay. <laughs> but now we live in a world, we have such beautiful opportunities to engage in these things, right? So we have podcasts, and we've got books, and we've got the Bible, all these things, right? And be consistent, right? Just prioritize your spiritual health, whatever that looks like for you. Like, be that, that nourishment in a regular routine. Imagine if you only ate once every three weeks, I mean, it wouldn't last very long, right? Like physical nourishment, it takes more than that, right? So think about it like this. You have daily bread, right? So what is it that you're daily doing to stay connected to this Jesus, this idea, this peacemaking path? And then like Sunday dinner, isn't this a good meal? <laughs> you're like, no, Ryan, it's not. <laughs> Wrap it up. But this is kind of like a Sunday dinner. We gather with the family. We, we look and we explore wisdom and we have some fun and we laugh and we hear stories from one another. And maybe we hang out a little bit in the atrium. I, we do fill in the blanks in our household for dinner. 
time. I don't know if you do that or not. So like it's very consistent for, you know, my kids just grew up filling in talk notes at dinner. So it's perfect. It's why we do it the way we do it here. Right? So I just want to encourage you, don't just eat alone. Don't have this bread of life alone, but share the meal with friends. I like, gather together to experience this living presence of God. We do that in these church services, and we do that in spiritual conversations, whatever that looks like. Certainly attending church is a way of experiencing the divine and getting some bread of life, finding encouragement in community. Certainly that's a way to do that. Helps us become more like Jesus. It's a healthy habit for many of us, and I would encourage you to, to do that. I, I kind of I given my life to that premise, that this is important, <laughs> that this is helpful, that this isn't a waste of time. And then there's things that we can do daily, like reading our Bible, listening to podcasts, engaging with spiritual writers and thinkers, right? Poetry, art, movies, all those things. You, you know that you can watch a movie and that can be a spiritual habit, bread of life. Look for, look for the themes in it. Like watch a movie and look for the theme. Where is forgiveness in here? Where is lack of forgiveness in this movie? Where is, where is a response that's violent to a response that's not violent? Right? You can tune your hearts. And, and I just believe that the living God speaks to us through all types of these these things in our lives, it's just a matter of our own receptivity, right? It's just a matter of setting what we are expecting from that moment, right? And we ought to do this in such a way that when we engage with this stuff, especially with Scripture, read your Bible every day, sure, I'm all for it. But as you read it, like, don't look for a rule to live by. Look for the radical love of Jesus breaking into our normal human responses and ways of thinking that are right there in the text, Look for that moment where it's like, oh, in this story, this is normal human thinking. God's going to wipe everybody out. But that's not Jesus. And then you have stories where God is like including people that you would never imagine the people wanting to include. And we go, there's Jesus. There's the radical love of God breaking into the normalcy of human civilization right there in front of us. Read with that eye, looking for that. So music and prayer and rest and meditation and nature when done intentionally, to open our hearts to becoming more loving and generous and kind, Christ-like people, those are healthy habits. And so eat alone, eat daily bread, but gather with people as well. Second thing, take a breath and enjoy the meal. Take a breath and enjoy eating out, <laughs> right? Sometimes you got to eat out. How many of y'all eat out more than you eat in? Be honest. Just raise your hand up right now. You're like, I'm not, I, this is just me. This is me and my spouse these days. I'm not cooking. That's crazy talk, right? You know, it's a lot of energy to cook at home and clean up after the dishes and all that stuff, right? And sometimes you just got to eat out. Sometimes life is a little crazy. So it's good to just take a break every now and then. So here's the thing. Perfect attendance at church or a small group or volunteering isn't a thing. There's no ledger in the kingdom of heaven that's like, oh, not perfect attendance. Cool. They're perfect attendance. So not, it's not a real thing, right? So this year as a church, we're going to try and live into this. We're going to do something different. I know that's shocking for a lot of you that we would try different things here. <laughs> At probably the worst time in the history of church to try new things, we're going to try something new. And so we want to take a breath as a church. And so this year, we're going to take three weekends that are natural weekends for an organization like ours to just take a breath and give everybody the weekend off. So it takes a lot of effort and energy to do this every week. Hundreds of volunteers make it possible. And so we've just chosen three weekends that we're going to call online only. And it's O2, to breathe. 
to give our volunteers a chance to catch their breath, to give our staff a chance to catch their breath, and for all of us to just not feel any guilt about not going to church. Not that that really plagues a lot of you. (laughs) I'm only kidding. Come on. The good news is we still will have an offering. You'll still be able to give that week. Don't worry. I know some of you, that was your first thought. Like, but how are we going to pay the bills, Ryan? I know that's what you were thinking. And so Labor Day, Memorial Day, and the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to take those weekends and just practice the Sabbath. And we'll have, we're going to, our team is going to put out an online-only uh, service that you can watch online anytime during the week. It'll drop on Friday and it'll go. And then on Sunday, uh, our council, our board, a couple of them would like to host a watch party here for those that, you know, maybe you live by yourself, or maybe just being here on Sunday just is really important in, the, in, the, in your soul care. And so up in 207, um, they're going to provide some refreshments, and at 10 o'clock, just like normal, and especially in case someone were to show up that week, a guest, um, and they're just going to have a watch party with some, you know, some snacks, and you can connect with people if you really like to. That's an RSVP thing, though. So we just need you to RSVP for that. So you'll hear more about that. So we're going to have these O2 and just give everybody a chance to breathe. And it's a way we all rest. And it's built into our culture. And it's an understanding that, like, I don't think that the living God really is going to be too worked up about it. We'll see. Okay? <laughs> we'll see. I just hope everybody comes back, all right? I just want you to come back. And the week after our first O2, we're starting a series called The Gospel According to Ted Lasso. So I'm trying to rope you in, trying to lasso you back in, okay? So it's going to be a fun one, all right? So this digital service will drop, it'll go out, okay? Now, you can RSVP on the Connect card for that, all that good stuff, and we can give electronically, and you can use your, you know that your giving envelopes are postage paid, So just take an extra one home and use it that week. Drop it in the mail. It won't even cost you a stamp, okay? So here's the third way in which we can live this in our everyday normal lives. As individuals, don't forget to make reservations for special occasions, right? You know those meals that you have that like, you you know if you just show up and try to get a table, it's not going to happen. You got to plan ahead, right? That's what a reservation is about, planning and preparing. So there are things that are, I think, important for our soul care as community, as individuals that you got to think about ahead of time. Right? So think of like the anniversary dinners, the birthday parties, the celebration, you know, you celebrate the promotion at work, right? You plan for those. Same thing is true with our soul care and with this bread of life. So we have things like communion and baptism. Like make reservations in your life for those experiences, right? And so I want to talk for a moment just about baptism today. And I want to introduce Roland Gehring, who's going to share a little bit about his journey and his story into his decision to be baptized. So will you do me a favor and welcome Roland, who's going to come up and join me right now. All right, we're going to have a seat here. I'm going to give this microphone to Roland. There we go. All right, Roland, first of all, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. For being here. And maybe take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about your everyday normal life, what you're going to be doing on Monday, your family, all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for everyone coming out today. And, uh, you know, I pray that I can receive all there is to receive and learn with this. And uh, my wife and I have been members here for quite a while. We have three sons, uh, Mason, who's 25, who's a firefighter out in Oregon. And uh, my son, Andrew, works here locally. He's 22. And my youngest son, Julian, will be 21 uh, coming up in January, he goes to UNC out in Greeley. So that, that's our family. And um, 
we've been serving the last few years, and I, and I feel called, you know, powerfully uh, for this interview in that we've been participating with Crossroads Church at the Loveland Community Kitchen here locally and with the food bank and with the Crossroads team here uh, with Partners in Hope. So that's why I'm here and, and why I'm inspired. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, let's welcome Roland again. Thank you. Um, so, Roland, we've talked a few times about just like this spiritual journey you've been on and uh, kind of what God's been doing in your life, maybe particularly over the last few years. Like maybe share a little bit about that for everybody, your own personal journey, soul care, what's been happening. Yeah, uh, God has been calling me into action. That's how it's showing up in my particular life. And uh, I'll be 45 this month. And as you were talking, I noticed that I've been spiritually hungry. That's what showed up uh, for me. So this is a way for uh, me to give myself soul care and, and contribute to the community and to my family. And I have a couple of opportunities coming up that I'm nervous about um, to help combat recovery for people who have been in combat and to the Wild Ed Network, which is going to be reconnecting people to nature. And I thought, you know, what a great way to go into those opportunities in just full surrender mm. and not knowing. I don't know what's coming, uh, but I know that it feels right and I want to bring God with me and, um, and be in service in that way. Yeah, so one of the ways in which you've talked about kind of bringing God with you, being nourished for mm -hmm. that moment, getting the spiritual energy is this baptism thing, you've recently said, I have never, like, tell us a little bit about that and why baptism and, and, uh, and how you envision that and what brought you to that choice. Yeah, so baptism, another thing that I don't know about because I've never been baptized before. Uh, I didn't attend church consistently growing up, which, as you pointed out, doesn't matter. You know, it's, uh, I'm being called powerfully in the moment now. And it just feels like a beautiful way to declare my faith and walk in that faith and uh, and just really commit and so I was thinking about our interview and what it means to me before I experience something and it just feels like commitment and uh, community and generosity and compassion and so that's the possibility that I'm creating that I want to live into and you know rituals and ceremony and those types of things are really important in my life because I feel like they really mark a spot in time and give an opportunity to um, be purified in a way and, uh, and really just let the past go mm. and just be called powerfully into the I present moment. Yeah, and that really is, I mean, at the end of the day, the heart of baptism is this ceremony, right? It's a ceremony, it's a ritual that kind of identifies um, a lot of things, what God has, is doing in our lives, our, our choice, our decision to live a peacemaking path. It's an ancient ritual. I mean, gosh, it's thousands and thousands of years old. Um, wonderful. So, and for you, it wasn't like you didn't want to get like dunked in a tank. I didn't, no. No, that was, that's not you because you're, you're in a lot of like wilderness education, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. You wanted to do like baptism in the wild. I did want to do, so I, what's do, that I look do like? want to do baptism what's that in like? the wild. That, it's my, uh, call of the wild, if you will. And I appreciate you being open to that and giving our church an opportunity for that. And, uh, you know, I'm earthy in that way, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, to pick somewhere easy to get to that's local, right. it's, you know, um, up here at Horsetooth and Sol Soldier Canyon. Yeah. Um, Cove, which is accessed through the Lori State Park. Okay. Uh, is, is a great place uh, for something like that to to take place. And um, 
I just know it, it's not about me, you know, um, it, it's about community and about a declaration. Yeah. And so what a beautiful way to just turn everything I'm currently doing and my family's currently doing and what we'll be doing in the future over to God and just really trust and see Love what it. that life is like. Love it. So next Sunday at 4 p.m., we're going to do baptism in the wild. All right, we're going to do that. And you're going to get baptized. There'll at least be one. At least be one. At least yep. be one. Yep. And, uh, yep. and so, so here's the scoop. Anybody that is interested in coming out and just cheering on Rollin and being a part of that and spending some time at Horse Tooth, we're going to do it at 4 o'clock. So if you want to get there a little bit early, uh, whatever it might be, if you want to hang out and come and celebrate, that's wonderful. And I would encourage you to mark it on your calendar if you want to come and be a part of this day with Rollin, if you don't have plans. Or if you have plans that don't sound as fun, cancel them. Come on out. And then also, um, <laughs> Rollin, you, you aren't, like, you were pretty, you were you're not opposed to other people joining in on this moment and getting baptized as well. A absolutely <laughs> not. No. No, I've gone swimming at that place right? a few times. There's yeah. lots of people there, and uh, usually, and, and it was real safe and, and awesome. great. So we there's a nice kind of beach walkout area. If yeah. you've been thinking about getting baptized and being baptized in more of an earthy environment, <laughs> as opposed to the, the portable dunk tank that we put up every now and then, um, just check the box on the back of your Connect card, and our communications team We'll, we'll send you out all the information this week, let you know where to go, give you invitations for family and friends so they know where to go. Lots of research has been done on exactly how to get to this cove place that we've heard about. Yes. So it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great experience. That's next Sunday at four o'clock. Right on. Do me a favor. Give Roland a great big hand. Thank you, Roland. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. We're going to have lots of fun. So we're going to have a good time. It's going to be cold. I got a feeling. So, uh, so next Sunday at 4 o'clock, you can participate in that, right? And you can be a part of it and just cheer them on, whatever that might be. As we kind of wrap up in just a moment, we're going to kind of receive those Connect cards and the giving envelopes, your donations today. Um, I always like to ask this question at the end of our talks, like, how does this make me a better person and the world a better place? Right? The churchy way of saying that is, how does this give glory to God? I think a normal, everyday way of saying is, how does this make me better and make the world a better place? Here's my answer to that. Spiritually nourished people bring stability into their relationships. If you and I intentionally tend to the care of our soul, it's not that we eliminate relational problems, relational difficulties, that's not the case at all, but we bring stability, right? We bring the ability to recognize that God is present in those moments when our relationships begin to destabilize. You see, a person who's filled with the bread of life is not frantic, is not put on tilt easily, it's not angry, but this person is in a position to bring wisdom and healing to difficult and painful situations, often able to make tremendous sacrifices for the sake of others. And that's powerful. And I also think that spiritually nourished people are not easily manipulated. How many of y'all have ever heard that when you're hungry, you don't go to the grocery store, right? Why is that? Because when you're hungry and you go to the grocery store, you are manipulated by all the shiny things and you end up buying all the stuff, right? I think the same is true of us spiritually. When we are spiritually languished, when we aren't caring for our soul, it's easy for us to be manipulated by the things in this world. It's easy for us to be manipulated uh, by unhealthy spirituality, by things that, by emotional experiences that we think will promise us this, this experience of God that fixes everything. 
But when we're spiritually satisfied, when we're feasting, when we're, when we're truly feeding on the bread of life, we have the energy, we have the stability to not be manipulated by the latest and greatest chocolate cake out there, right? But to develop those healthy habits and live in that. So as the band plays this really interesting song, I want to encourage you to think, what is it that God's inviting you into today? What is it? Why is it that you're here? Right? Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is your last time here, but you're here, right? So in this moment, what is your invitation? Maybe it's to make spiritual nourishment a priority in your life by consuming healthy spiritual food consistently. You know, podcasts, church service, like just finding one way and say, this is a way in which I'm feasting on this bread of life. Maybe you sense God just kind of whispering to you about this thing called baptism, and you're like, I don't know, I mean, it's, like, it's kind of crazy, weird, Ryan. Maybe just explore that. If you're interested in it, check the box, and we'll send you the information. If you want to talk with somebody, if you want to talk with me, I'm happy to talk with you about it. Any, any one of our team would love to just share with you a little bit about this experience, all right? So during this song, we're going to receive those connect cards and donations. If you're in the bleachers, you can drop those in the orange uh, giving boxes in the back. If you're at tables, there's baskets already. If you're in the rows, just serve one another, pass the basket along, help the room host. That'd be wonderful. So this song that Mickey and the team is doing is quite interesting. You've got to pay attention to the lyrics. I love the lyrics of this song. It says, I'm alive and I'm awake. I'm aware of what light tastes like. I'm aware of what light tastes like. The curtains are drawn, the table's set. I want to be at my best. The song says, to fists that are unraveling, to glass that's unshattering, to breaking all the rules, to breaking bread again. We're swallowing light, we're swallowing our pride, we're raising our glass till we're fixed from the inside, till we're fixed from the inside. And that's what the bread of life ultimately does. It heals us from the inside out so that we might be peacemakers in this world. I'll be back with our blessing to get you out of here in just a minute.